Welcome to Raised on D&D Podcast. Twice a month, Raised on D&D brings you inspirational interviews, tips, and strategies to enhance your family's gaming experience. Your host for Raised on D&D has been a game master for 30 years and father to three gamers. Here is Nick Cartarelli. Welcome back, gamers. I'm your host, Nick Cartarelli, and this is Raised on D&D. My next guest is a native son of Traverse City, Michigan. He's the creator and founder of Gaming for a Cure, a not-for-profit gaming convention dedicated to raising funds to fight cancer. He's a game designer for Bloat Games. He's working on several writing projects. Most are top secret, but he's going to tell us a little bit about his D&D 5e mini campaign setting, tentatively titled A World Truly Terrible to Behold. You know him as the host of the QuestWise YouTube channel. Please welcome Jody Brandt. Hi, Jody. Hi, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Jody, we're big supporters of Gaming for a Cure. Uh, but before we jump into all of that, what is your backstory in tabletop playing games? When did you start playing? And can you tell us a little bit about what that first experience was like? Yeah. Uh, so I started playing in around uh, 1990, 1991. Uh, it was the first time that I was really uh, introduced to the tabletop role-playing hobby. Uh, my cousin had a friend who one day said, Hey, I want to, I want to introduce you guys to a game. And, and I thought, you know, a board game, um, uh, something of that nature, uh, that, yeah. So I'm all, I'm all for that. Let's, let's do it. Uh, and so he brought out these books and they were, uh, from Palladium books, which is actually out of Detroit, Michigan. Um, it was called heroes unlimited, uh, teenage mutant ninja turtles and other strangeness ninjas and super spies. And I thought, okay, this is a game unlike any other game I've ever seen. And at the time, I was a huge fan of comic books. So, and I still am. I'm, I mean, that's just a super part of my, my nerdery. Uh, but I, I, I jumped in and we made some characters and we played some games and I was hooked instantly. Uh, and from that, we went on to play other Palladium games called, uh, Riffs. And that was over the course of a couple summers. So uh, with that, my cousin had lived, he lived a couple, uh, about a couple hours away from where I did. So I spent a lot of summers with them. Uh, when I came back home, uh, Palladium wasn't a big thing where I lived. There just wasn't any stores that carried it at all. Uh, what I did find though, is a Walden books in the mall, uh, was a, a full line of advanced Dungeons and Dragons second edition. Uh, at the time I had read things like Terry Brooks's Shannara series. I had read Tolkien. I had read, C.S. Lewis's Narnia stuff. Uh, so I was fully aware of what fantasy was. I purchased with, <laughs> with lawn mowing money my first player's handbook for a D&D second edition and uh, fell in love with it. Uh, it. It was just one of those things that I, it, I didn't know how to play really other than the experience I had with the Palladium stuff. It, it, that summer exactly that uh, my cousin had he had a, he had adventures in the Northern wilderness, which, uh, you know, part of the palladium fantasy line. And, uh, he didn't want it. And he said, you know, if you give me $10, I'll sell this to you. And I was instantly captured by the Keith Parkinson cover. Uh, it was just, it was one of those things that it's still one of my favorite art pieces today. Uh, so I, I quickly gave him $10 for this book and I, I, I flipped through this thing hundreds of times. So palladium fantasy was not, it was very short after that time period that I jumped into D&D that I jumped into Palladium Fantasy as well. 
Uh, but from that point on, uh, I, I've been a fan of, of role-playing games. Uh, that was um, the beginning of my high school career. Uh, it was still at that time period when it wasn't cool to play D&D. So there was that sort of, how do I approach somebody and tell them I, I want to play D&D with you? Uh, I did. It was like being in the secret club. You had to look for the signs, right? Absolutely. Like, hey, that guy's reading Tolkien in the corner by himself. <laughs> I could ask him maybe if I yeah. if I if I ease into it nice and easy. Um, the other thing was the, one of the selling points for us playing Palladium in high school was uh, because we were we're in the deep south and in the height of the uh, everything's ten years behind here. So it was still for most people the the midst of the satanic panic. And though one of the great things about Palladium was someone would come up to you and they'd say, is that Dungeons and Dragons? And you could go, no, this is Palladium. It's completely different. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it was funny because my uh, I grew up with my grandparents and they, they were fairly religious. They, you know, went to church every Sunday. Uh, but my grandma just didn't. She just it, the only thing that she used to call Dungeons and Dragons wizards and warriors. And it drove me crazy. She could never get the name right. Uh, but uh, she, yeah, she was all about it. Um, she had read Tolkien as well, too. She was, she was fully aware of, of the harmlessness of the, of the game. Although, you know, now looking back at it with all the books that I own, I don't know if it was quite completely harmless or not. It definitely takes a lot of my extra cash uh, as an adult. But um, uh, from there, I found a few people in high school that played, uh, and then I went off to college, and uh, instantly there were, you know, tons and tons of people that played D&D. We played a lot of D&D in college, probably more than we should have. And uh, after that, uh, it just it became a lifelong hobby, a lifelong interest for me. So. Now, fast-forwarding, you're a husband and a father, is that right? Correct, correct. We have three three daughters. Uh, I actually married um, a, a woman who was a friend of mine in high school. Uh, we were apart wow. for about fifteen years, and uh, you know, just uh, things times times were right. So we've been married uh, ten years now. Congratulations! That's fantastic. Thank you. Thanks. And uh, so you have three daughters, and um, now you you were telling me before two of them are grown and are are they grown and gone? Like out of the house? They've just moved out, like just recently. So it's still very fresh. Congratulations for that. too. (laughs) The empty nest thing has not set in yet. So, (laughs) and you still, and you still got the youngest at home. The youngest at home, she's fourteen. Yep. Okay. Oh, that's fantastic. My 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 oldest is fourteen and uh, going on twenty one. You know how that is. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Everybody, everybody's so, against them, and and they're always angry about something. So <laughs> about something, <laughs> um, and you you try to channel it as best you can <laughs> and, uh, and redirect it. Do you guys do family game night? Do you do um, card games, board games, RPGs? Yes, uh, we try to. Uh, we, the girls and my wife are definitely way less nerdy than I am. Uh, it's uh, they enjoy board games, we enjoy card games, um, but uh, as far as like tabletop role playing games, they're still a little hesitant. On uh, whenever the older girls are home, we play things like Fireball Island. Uh, we play uh, Settlers of Catan. We try. Um, nice. Uh, lots of Monopoly. Uh, <laughs> lots of, 
versions of Monopoly. We just, in fact, for Christmas played the cheaters version of Monopoly. But yeah, it's one of those things that really, <laughs> I really enjoy doing with the family. Uh, it, it brings us closer together, it gets us a chance to laugh, uh, and yell at each other. I mean, Monopoly is definitely one of those games that, um, will, will test your family bonds a bit. Ah. Absolutely, and it, and it sounds like uh, it sounds like the girls are very super competitive. Is that true? Oh, completely. Yes, very much so. <laughs> very much so. And, and, you know, that's incredible. And I, I personally remember um, my grandmother would babysit us when we were small, and she would bring a deck of cards, and we would spend hours playing games like go fish and gin rummy and uh, poker and all these things with grandma. And here it is years later and she's passed probably 10 years now, but I can still remember games and conversations around the table from being six, seven, eight years old. So I, I totally agree that being around the table together, it makes memories that last. And I'm so glad to hear that it also brings them home because I'm not at that point yet. Um, but I know that when we get there, that will be something that will help them say, well, I've got to be at my folks house this weekend because it's family game night, you know, that kind of thing that really, really gives me a lot of hope. Is there any advice that you have, anything that you want to say though, um, to help those families who are kind of new to role playing games, finally sit down and break open the box? Absolutely. Um, storytelling is one of the, uh, it's one of humanity's oldest pastimes. Uh, we know, uh, from looking at history and mythology that people have been telling stories since we were able to talk. And it's, it's not any different now. I think when Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson took the idea of a war game and said, Hey, let's zoom in to the characters and see what they think and how they react to situations. Um, I would tell parents uh, and families it's, it's make believe it's, it's playing pretend it is, it's simply this, the storytelling. I think it's part of our, our being, I think it's a part of our soul to be able to tell stories. Uh, Tolkien once said in an essay that, um, being a religious man that he was saying that if God was my creator and he created me in his image, then I should also be a creator and I should create worlds and I should tell stories. Um, and it's no different for us. I think uh, one of the most important things you should know is that this is about entertainment and it's about storytelling. And to, if you get to a point where you crack open the box and it looks like too much, forget the rules. Just don't worry about it. Just focus on telling a good story. Um, uh, one of my favorite things lately has been the, the aspect of uh, minimalist role-playing games where you can play with a single six-sided die. Um, it's really about the story, and it's really about bringing people together and, and sharing that sort of age-old idea of creating myths together. And I think you'll see things, and I've seen things that have been amazing to me that have really opened my mind to the way storytelling when you sit down with kids and you start telling a story with them uh whether it be the caravan guard or whether it be protecting the temple or whatever you know the age-old tropes of meeting the guy in the bar 
kids are so amazing and they want to tell stories. They want to pretend. They want to share these things that they will do things in the game that will blow your mind. They, they'll come up with, with, with ideas and they'll come up with um, theories and tactics that you would have never dreamed of. Um, and even me, I'm, I'm 45 years old and I, I've been playing for a long time and I've played with a lot of people and I've seen a lot of really strange ideas. But kids are really, I think at the core, they're very empathetic. They're very, uh, they want to want to explore these ideas. And I think role-playing games can be a good avenue for kids to be able to channel some of the stuff that they're going through. Because as adults, we don't, we don't know what kids are going through. We, we have our own problems. We have jobs and we have uh, stresses of bills and that kind of things. Kids deal with things in a completely different level. Somebody might have said something mean to them at school. Somebody may be bullying them. Somebody, um, you know, they, they have a different set of problems. Their worldview is a little skew. And one of the things I found over time is that role-playing games allow me to explore those things in a safe setting. And even though the kids might not come right out and say to you, hey, I'm being bullied at school, you'll see it in the game. You'll see them come up with creative solutions that will help them in life. Plus, D&D is kind of part of its math. Uh, I've seen kids, my, my youngest daughter, uh, because of magic and D&D, has become better at math, basic, basic math skills in school because it's just, oh, I have to roll this die and I have to add this, but I have to subtract this. And she can start to do those things on the yep. fly now. Um, so I think uh, there's mm-hmm. a lot of benefits to role-playing. Um, when I was doing Gaming for a Cure, I had a few parents who would bring their kid and, they would say things like, um, we're not really too keen on him playing D&D, but he saved up his own money and bought the books himself. Um, and I said, you know what? Don't worry about it. We'll take care of him. He'll have a great time. If you want to hang out and watch, I'd be more than happy to have you do that. And to see them see their kid in this interaction, uh, to see and even teenage kids, and, and it's changed their minds about it because they realize that this is an avenue that uh, knows no bounds. The imagination is your limit, and uh, you can explore all sorts of great things. Whether you're playing a game that's very serious or whether you're playing a game that's super campy and, and just made for fun, um, the, it, it has benefits well beyond just a role-playing game. It has benefits, I think, uh, for people's minds and for their well-being and uh, for their souls. It's, it's, just, it's like chicken soup, man. It's good for everything. I want to talk to you, I want to change the tempo just a little bit and talk to you about uh, Gaming for a Cure. My father passed recently of cancer, but losing him to cancer uh, was very difficult. And I know Gaming for a Cure is all about because you lost somebody. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, so uh, I met a, uh, a guy in college uh, who was one of the first people I started playing D&D with. And uh, his name was Wes. And uh, over time, we became way more than just D&D friends. Uh, We became like brothers. Uh, It was something that even after college, we kept in touch and we tried to meet up as often as possible. And in fact, he took me, uh, I I almost say he kidnapped me and took me to Gen Con for the very first time. Uh, I didn't have a choice. He, He called me up and said, uh, we're going this weekend. Uh, make sure you have the time off because we're, we're doing this. Uh, so we drove down to Indianapolis and, uh, it was amazing. 
And uh, a few years after that, he had uh, gotten um, uh, he had gotten cancer and uh, it had spread through his whole body. And you know, he told me that the prognosis is not it's not it's not good. Um, so I was able to go down and see him uh, a few days before he passed, and was able to hold his hand and talk to him a little bit. Uh, and after he passed away, uh, I knew I, I had to do something to honor his memory. Even though nobody else in the world really knew Wes, I knew that we had this bond of gaming. And that it's something that we shared together as well as with other people. Uh, there's uh, several friends in college who had never experienced things like D&D or board games before uh, who now share them with their families. And I get texts from them all the time. Hey, how does this work? Uh, so that's uh, a thing. And, and I wanted to make sure that my memory of him never faded. So I, I, uh, I, I went to a local game store called The Fun Factory here in Traverse City, Michigan. And I pitched the idea to them. And he, I said, I want to do this, a 12-hour gaming bonanza. And we're going to charge $5 to get in. And you can play all day long, whatever game you want to play. And I also went to the American Cancer Society and I pitched it to them. And the woman I pitched it to said, this is an amazing idea. This is way better than going and doing a walk or, or a fundraiser. Let's, let's do this. And so she came and she sat with us the entire 12 hours and talked to people and handed out pamphlets and, and talked about what the American Cancer Society can do for people and not just people with cancer, but people's families uh, of people who have cancer. And, um, people who have uh, a history of family with cancer and how they can try to prevent it. And uh, we raised $75. And while I was a little heartbroken, uh, I knew that I had, I had done something. I felt, I felt as if I had done something good. So yeah. I figured it was just going to be a one and done and be a one-time thing. Uh, I was happy with that. Then the day following that, I received so many phone calls, so many emails about when the next one was going to be that I knew I had to wow. do more. Uh, people who had missed it and wanted to check it out, people who had been there and had a good time and wanted to contribute again. Uh, so we made it an annual event and uh, we did it uh, once a year. We did it. Uh, it grew from the small little fun factory to a local college who supported it and let us use some of the, uh, the, the, the classrooms and stuff to run different games. Um, and then it became where people wanted even more. So we started doing three events a year and we did a summer event, a winter event. And then there's a local comic book convention in town here called cherry capital comic con where they call it C4. And, they had actually contacted me and said, Hey, we want to try to do some more stuff. That's sort of fundraiser nonprofit based. Would you like to come and we'll give you a room to run games during this comic book convention. And we've been with them for over 10 years. Um, wow. They've been really, really awesome. Uh, at about the 12 year mark uh, of doing gaming for a cure. And, and I had tons of volunteers at this point because I just, there's no way I could have did this, done this alone. It was just impossible. Um, I got to the point where I was kind of burnt out. Um, it wasn't that I didn't want to help people anymore. It wasn't that I didn't have, I just ran out of ideas on how to make this awesome and new every time we did it. 
So I sat down with my head volunteer, uh, Charlie, and I said, Charlie, I just, I don't want to see this die, but I feel like I just don't have the gumption to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And he said, no worries. We'll take it from here. And they have. They've done things with Gaming for a Cure to this day that have just super exceeded anything I could have ever done with it. Um, they are a fully 501c3 uh, nonprofit organization now. Uh, they fully um, support the American Cancer Society. Uh, with that uh, nonprofit license, they're also able to help people locally. So there are people with families uh, who have children that might have cancer or families that are dealing with things. They donate money directly to them. Uh, they hold um, special events to raise money just for those families. They've done some great things with it. And uh, I'm really proud of having been a part of it. And But I'm also more proud of the fact that it's continued on to this day, uh, even though I'm not at the helm of it anymore. That's phenomenal. That is the real proof that something is truly great when it goes beyond the creator. Do you know with last year's shutdowns, their events had to be canceled? They did. uh, They did cancel their events. They've been doing uh, some stuff online, uh, a few uh, things here and there. We also have a a fairly new... um, store company uh, venue here in town called Tabletop Underground that they've been working very closely with as well too to do some uh, some more online type of things. But it's still new to everybody, I think. It's still new to them having gone from a, an event that is completely dependent upon being face-to-face to trying to do something online is kind of new. So they, they have uh, had some struggles with keeping the events going and and I will I'll, I'll get the the listeners all uh, uh, a web address that they can check out to see what they're doing. Um, but uh, they're struggling a bit. Uh, but it, being a nonprofit is nice because all the volunteers nobody got paid for it. Um, it's something they do out of the kindness mm-hmm. of their heart. It's something they're just doing because they feel passionate about it. Um, so it's not anything that's going to fail because of this. Uh, but it's going to be great. I think that they are building ideas that are going to be completely amazing once we're able to get back to being at a table again. And I think that's fantastic. And you were talking about online events. Now, I was able to attend a few virtual conventions last year. I definitely see where Discord, Roll20, Fantasy Grounds, and these other platforms are really going to allow nonprofits like Game for a Cure an opportunity that maybe in the long run, they might find that they enjoy uh, once things open back up, they might find that they want to do in-person and virtual events because I got to game with people from Australia, Germany, Russia, um, all at the same time. And it was amazing. And for organizations like Game for a Cure, that I think opens them up to being able to reach people who want to help, who want to contribute, who want to support the American Cancer Society and do that, um, even if they're not local. That is the glasses half full to the whole situation, I think. You're the host of Quest Guys, uh, right there on YouTube. But tell us a little bit about your YouTube channel and some of the things that you tackle and topics that you talk about. Sure. Uh, so. Uh, Questwise actually 
began as an accident. Uh, after I left Gaming for a Cure, uh, uh, there was a huge hole in my life. Uh, I had done that for like 12 years. Uh, and I still was passionate about the hobby. And I didn't, I was, uh, you can even ask my wife, I was, I was definitely, uh, there was something missing uh, in my life from not being able to do those kinds of things. Uh, at the time, I worked at a, at a bookstore, and uh, this gentleman approached me one evening, and he said, "Hey, we want to do this cool thing. It's going to be like Critical Role, and we're gonna we're gonna film D and D sessions, and we're gonna put it up on YouTube. We're gonna put it up on Twitch, and we we have a studio, and I have players. and And I was like, okay, why are you pitching this to me? And he said, because <laughs> we heard that you are really good at what you do, and we want you to be the dungeon master. And wow. I said, oh, Okay, um, sure. If you have everything else set, I, I, I'd be honored to help you guys out. So, unfortunately, it didn't pan out. Um, the, the studio kind of fell through. Uh, some of the players left. Uh, the video just was never, uh, it just, it just never came to fruition. It wasn't anybody's fault. It wasn't anybody, you can't point a finger at anybody. It just didn't work out. Um, it's a huge undertaking, right. uh, having a lot of people and a crew and all this kind of stuff. Um, but I had already commissioned the artwork for the logo. I had already come up with the name. I had already set up the YouTube channel. Um, and so if you go back in my catalog and you look at the very first video I did, it is literally me sitting on my kitchen, on my living room couch with my phone in my hand saying, Hey, um, welcome to the Questwise channel. We're going to talk about games and stuff. I hope you follow us. Um, <laughs> It's been three years now, and as of yesterday, we just crossed the 3,000 subscriber mark. Uh, wow. It's been an amazing, amazing, amazing. 3,000. It's, it's been an amazing journey. Uh, but so it, it actually kind of started by accident, the whole thing. But it has become this community that has blown my mind and has given me opportunities that I would have never had had I not done this YouTube channel. So. And it's amazing how the journey takes in different places. Uh, you know, that never would have happened. That pitch would never have come if you hadn't decided to step away. And then it just works out where now you're quest wise and you're the YouTuber personality. That's, in, that's incredible how that plays out. Now, I know you can't tell us about your projects that you're working on right now. But can you share with us a little bit about your D&D 5e mini campaign adventure series? Yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, kind of going back a little bit, uh, my first year uh, doing the YouTube channel, um, I must have done something right uh, because I got noticed by two different companies. Uh, Palladium Books actually reached out to me and said, uh, he actually called me, Kevin, the owner of the company, actually called me on my birthday one year and said, hey, happy birthday. We love what you're doing. We love that you're talking about our games. Do you want to work with us? And I said, yes. Oh, absolutely. Please. It would be an honor. <laughs> uh, so I, I get to review books for them. They let me know things that they're working on and ahead of time. Uh, but it also got me noticed by a company called Bloat Games out of Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, very small, independent game company. Um, I got a text message one day. said, hey, I really love your channel. Um, I really love the stuff that you're doing. I have this game called Dark Places and Demigorgons. It's an 80s kids on bikes, Stranger Things, Goonies kind of feel. 
do you, and I'll never forget this conversation. It was probably one of the best of my life. Do you like 80s vampire movies? That was his pitch. And I said, yes, yeah, of course. Who doesn't love 80s vampire movies? And he said, okay, I want to I yes. write a supplement for my game. I want you to co-write it with me. And I said, I've never done this before. And he goes, I don't care. Let's, I love the stuff that you're doing. Let's, let's give it a whirl. So I pitched him some ideas. We went with it. We published it. A few months later, he said, I want to do a werewolf supplement for the game based on 80s werewolf movies. And I said, I'm in. Count me in. Let's do this together. And he goes, no, I want you to write it yourself. Wow. And so I did. Uh, and uh, it was one of the very first things that I ever published via a different company with my name on it. And that started the ball rolling. And it got me to thinking, why not write something for D&D, right? The, we have yeah. the open gaming license. We have this 30-party process now. We have the DMs Guild. Why not try to write something? And one day while scrolling through Twitter and Facebook, I came upon a tweet by Mike Merles, uh, who, if you remember, used to be the head of D&D uh, for a while. And he wrote, yes. uh, he wrote a tweet that said, wouldn't it be interesting if all the D&D worlds were just the dreams of a beholder. And I was like, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so the game I'm working on now, it's kind of a mini campaign setting and series of adventures that is just that. The players get caught up kind of Ravenloft style, sucked into this world that is the dreams of this sort of insane beholder creature who's trying to warp this reality around everything that he thinks it should be. Um, and there's going to be lots of, 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 of nods to old D and D, uh, world settings. There'll be lots of nods to, uh, different, uh, uh, D and D like culture and stuff in it as well too. But it's something I've been working on for a while, but I, I realized once I started working on it, that it's, <laughs> it's a way bigger project than I had anticipated. Um, so I, I want to, I really want it to be fully fleshed out. And I've talked to some artists already and I've talked to a few publishers. Um, actually out of, uh, out of Italy and out of the Middle East, uh, who are interested in maybe uh, putting this together and editing it up together for me. So that it actually, so it actually looks like a fully fleshed out project when it's done. But, uh, that's the kind of elevator pitch for it. That is great. One of the hard things about fantasy is reinventing the wheel, right? Sure. As Dungeon Masters, we deal with that all the time. It's like we, most players recognize the tropes and they appreciate them and they enjoy them and they go along with them. But how many times can we have the dark stranger in the corner of the tavern? And how many caravan bodyguard jobs can you really do? Okay. <laughs> so, so the idea of, of taking this into uh, this dream realm of a beholder is just is so exciting to me as a dungeon master. If I can run my players and my family through it and just see what kind of crazy, ungodly horrors they can face. It, a refreshing take on fancy. And that's what we're always, we're always striving for as a dungeon master. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's one of those things too that I was inspired by not only the tweet, but I also was inspired by things like Ravenloft, the idea of, of characters going to a different realm. The old D and D cartoon from the eighties was a big inspiration for this as well. Um, I've always in literature, I've always loved things like uh, what they call visitation fiction, 
uh, John Carter of Mars. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he falls asleep on Earth one day and then wakes up on Mars. Uh, these ideas of people from a a seemingly normal place going to some place that has rules that they don't understand, and that's kind of what the Beholder's uh, world, a world truly terrible to behold, uh, is all about. It's this megalomaniac who has sort of warped reality to what it feels is is right. And so, in the campaign setting, you'll see lots of things like buildings with the with an eye icon on it there'll be little clues seated throughout the entire world that lead you to understand hey this is what's going on how do we deal with it and uh uh yeah, it's been a fun project to work on so i'm so excited i can't wait to see it jody i can't thank you enough for being on the show today it's always great to hear about the gaming community giving back, not only to the gaming community, but also to, to making the world a better place. Because we see that in so many different areas now, whether it's a gaming for a cure or extra life, you, we see that gamers are passionate, creative people. It starts at home, it starts with the family, and then it branches out from there. And like you said, your efforts to honor West's memory has given the gift of gaming to countless families over more than a decade. And that's incredible. That was great, man. I, I thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, but so I'm very honored to be a part of it. Uh, it, it was fun. It was great. I, I love talking about the hobby. I could spend all day just waxing nostalgic about role-playing games. <laughs>